everyone, and welcome to the first like podcast crossover episode for Titans Together. I am Joe Pride, and join with me as always is my co-host. Oh, that's me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hi, I'm JP. <laughs> and hi, uh, my name is Dylan. I'm one of the co-hosts of House of X podcast, and uh, my other my co-host is here too. Hi, I'm Regina, and. Me and Dylan are just a fanboy and a fangirl fanning around on our podcast. So it's fun to talk to other people who are doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely great to be here. This is a wonderful opportunity. And I'm so excited to talk about the uh, Uncanny X-Men cross Teen Titans crossover. James, do you want to give us the like historical information on like when it was released and all that? 82. Was it that early? Yeah, that was one of the things because Robin is still Robin versus Nightwing was the thing I found as an interesting detail. So yeah, 82, kind of just on the tales of Dark Phoenix Saga, which I guess makes sense given the subject matter. Written by Chris Claremont, which I think is super cool, but also kind of shows in the story in certain ways. Um, and it was illustrated by Walter, well, Walter Simonson is the penciler with Terry Austin as finisher, which are also two great X-Men artists. So I think one thing that is sort of interesting is my version at least starts with this Marvel Comics power statement. And really it was, it's a collaboration, but it sort of was Marvel taking control in a lot of ways in terms of the creative team. <laughs> yes, it was. This, this was really a Marvel story. Like I said, Regina and I's podcast is called House of X. So we usually only talk about X-Men. Uh, I think this is actually the first time we've actually really done anything DC related. We, we've had some creators on our show that have done DC stuff and I brought, brought it up before, but this is our first time actually talking about DC characters. So it's really fun to talk about them, especially Teen Titans, because I'm obsessed with Starfire. So I'm very excited to talk about that. We do random fandom episodes where, like Dylan said, we talk to creators, but we also talk to fellow fans. We do invite um, fellow fans to come with us and help us do our reviews sometimes. Um, when we're discussing the trial of Magneto, we are having guests come on and get just another perspective. Um, we will be doing character episodes. We've kind of done a few. The primary one is Monet. We love her. And <laughs> a lot of people seem to have really enjoyed that episode. We got a lot of great feedback about that. But we have some Husk fans that are just dying to join us and tell us what they know about Husk. So we're looking forward to that pretty soon here as well. That's awesome. Uh, a little backstory about our podcast. Ours is a little bit more retrospective. So Talking about something from the early 80s is definitely in our wheelhouse. Uh, we are starting from the very beginning, so to speak, of the Teen Titans comic books, uh, predominantly from the Silver Age, and then going all the way up to probably about 2011. We'll see how, how deep into the new 52 we get before we run out of steam. <laughs> but for now, we're uh, covering all of the George Perez and Marvel Wolfman stuff. So it was very interesting to start this issue and see every familiar face that we have been seeing for the past six months. We do release our stuff on a monthly schedule because we are busy bees <laughs> with other things going on in our lives. But, you know, we are definitely, I was definitely excited from the minute I started reading this because the first thing it says is a word from Kitty Pride, who is by far my favorite X-Men. I haven't necessarily read as much prior to when I was reading heavily in terms of comic books, in terms of the X-Men per se. Um, that's definitely, I think, going to be James's strong suit over me is I haven't necessarily read everything. Uh, I don't think I've even read all the way through the Dark Phoenix saga. I think I've read specific moments here and there. I know. I, oh my gosh. <laughs> I grew up in the internet age. It's a horrible thing to admit that like everything from my perception of people's characters comes from like Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> It's a horrible thing to admit. I'm catching up slowly. Teen Titans was the, the first time I kind of ever deep delved into anything pre-Crisis on Infinite Earths in terms of DC continuity. So at some point, I'm probably going to go back and do the same thing with Marvel, which is going to probably give me a whole new perception of uh, characters like it's doing with Teen Titans. Because I certainly, we both have a lot of varying opinions about characters since we started reading. Go ahead, uh, Dylan, if you want to 
open up with your opinions about this uh, crossover and what it meant to you. Sorry that I didn't ask before. Uh, so I can just give my opinions of the whole thing. I think so. I, I mean, okay. it's one issue. It is a little, it's a giant size issue, obviously. Okay. So I think it'd be best to just start with our opinions, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, like I said, I do like Teen Titans when it comes to DC. Like I'm one of those people that like, I only like Batman stuff and then Teen Titans stuff. Everything else I don't really care about. Um, <laughs> mainly Teen Titans for Starfire. And actually a few years ago, I went back and I bought all the different trades that have been coming out the past few years or volumes of Teen Titans. And I only read like the first two and then reasons in my life caused me to stop. But uh, I love Teen Titans. So I'm happy to talk about them and X-Men. Uh, but this really just seemed like an X-Men story with a little few panels of DC characters and also kind of seems like it doesn't really explain why we're having two worlds collide. It just makes it seem like, hey, we're all in the same world uh, to talk about Starfire specifically. Starfire has stories about how she knows the Shi'ar Empire and Lalandra and the Phoenix. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so it seemed like a story where Marvel just borrowed the Teen Titans for a while and then gave them back when they were done playing with them. But it, it was still a, a fun read, especially when they would compare characters like Starfire and Wolverine with their temperaments and Kitty and Gar with their age being the same. Uh, but it, it, it was my overall review is it's a really fun X-Men story that borrows the Teen Titans for a bit. And I think in a lot of ways, I agree with Dylan. I love the X-Men and I love the Teen Titans, but it is not a chocolate and peanut butter kind of scenario. It's more like they sort of <laughs> cancel each other out. Um, and the story itself is sort of like Dark Phoenix Redux. I don't feel like we gained anything from it. It's just sort of like a what if in sort of the worst way in that regard to me. Like, it's not... <laughs> there's nothing to make it stand out other than yay X-Men and Titans, which is, I mean, not nothing. It's cool to see them together. It's a Chris Claremont story with the Teen Titans in it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, meh, this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it, the fact that, you know, they kind of make these comments like, you know, well, we know the X-Men are in New York. Well, how do you know that? Like, well, we've never hung out with them before. Hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> but it was really fun to see some of the characters interacting with each other and like the whole, you know, Peter and Kitty like being jealous. That was hilarious and fun. <laughs> and then when Raven is like talking to Xavier and she's like, this guy is not an evil man. I was like, are you sure? <laughs> Take another look. Take another look. <laughs> <laughs> but um overall i mean was it the strongest story probably not was it fun i thought it was really fun it was just you know kind of a fun what if knockoff but in a, in a i guess for me it was a good way because i don't really know that much about teen titans so whatever i didn't get from them didn't bother me and i got a lot more out of the x-men so and i'm an ex-girl so it was fine <laughs> It was very interesting, like what Claremont chose to pick and choose from the current state of the Teen Titans in terms of like reflecting on their character, uh, even down to like Wally's conservatism was like mentioned briefly for a second there. And I was like, not expecting to see that in this crossover event. Uh, for me, like I used to work at a comic book store when I was a teenager and that was around the era of like Joe Caseta trying to do a Marvel versus DC little event thing, which kind of, I guess, historically failed. It's like a one of the biggest rumors that happened in comic books back then, where it was like he wanted Iron Man to defeat Superman without kryptonite. Like bar none wanted Iron <laughs> Man to win. And it's like, that's my perception of crossover events. It's either that or like the Amalgamverse from the early 90s, where they like, did the Dark Claw, Wolverine and Batman combined and the Wonder Woman and Storm combined. So this was really like my first introduction to like what a crossover could truly mean. 
it feels like if it was in a cartoon, it would be that one-off story that is so inconsequential to the plot. But like <laughs> somehow so much happens in one issue, but none of it means anything to either one. Uh, I did have a lot of fun with it. I agree. I think Kitty really shined in here for me. And I think that's probably my own bias because it is. Uh, I <laughs> I don't know Kitty as a kid. I, I mean, I know what she was like-ish. I have an idea of it. I've never really actually read it. So to see her, like, this is prime, like, kitty teenager moment uh, was really fun to see and really fun to read. Um, I jumped in to Kitty Pride's existence probably around, like, the Joss Whedon Astonishing X-Men run. So that's where my obsession kind of began with her. So it was really fun to go back and see this is, like, what she was like as the youngest member of the X-Men. I was... So mine at least has a sort of prologue epilogue about um, the Prometheus chair and the source wall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, So Darkseid convinces Metron to breach the source wall, which is, I think, why we get this mashup. So the DC universe (laughs) collides with the Marvel universe, and then suddenly... Um, the X-Men are troubled by nightmares of Jean Grey and the Dark Phoenix incident, which happened recently. And it turns out Darkseid is using the memories of the X-Men to chor- sort of reconstitute the Dark Phoenix. And um, for reasons the Titans become involved, I'm not <laughs> especially clear on why they must be there, but... <laughs> I think it was uh, it was Raven who had the nightmare, right? She also had yes, the, the there vision. There we go, and, and that um, kind of like thrust them into the plot. And as Dylan mentioned, Starfire kind of spontaneously has knowledge of the Phoenix in this sort of amalgam universe that is created. And so, based off of those, the Titans join the fray, and through the combined might of the Titans and the X Men, the Dark Phoenix is eventually defeated, and we restore the Source Wall. <laughs> And Darkseid's trapped in the source wall. (laughs) Like, that should be the end of him, bar none. How did he exist beyond this? (laughs) Yes, I I had that same question. I was like, wait, so he's stuck in a wall. How did he get out? Oh, wait, that's right. This had nothing to do with anything. With anything. (laughs) I I like that that James first brought up the whole that this was very much like a what if. Like, I wish there was more of an indication of that (laughs) like hey this story has nothing to do with anything but okay i should correct it's not the worst kind of what if because those are super depressing and this at least is still fun yes (laughs) (laughs) but if there was just like an indication of saying hey this is an alternate world not yeah not reading it and me loving Corey, and i'm like wait so Corey knows about the phoenix and the shiar and like she's like had conversations with Lalandra. What? So <laughs> it would make sense because she's alien royalty, so it fits. It just it, it, it fits. It, it, yeah. right. <laughs> I think this also came out um around another slew of other crossovers. Cause I think there was a JLA and Avengers one. I don't think I remember any other ones besides the two of those, to be honest. They weren't really talked about back in the day. I almost kind of wanted to read the JLA and Avengers one to see how they answered some of these questions or how they dealt with this other than just simply stating that like, oh, I know that the X-Men live in New York. Hmm. I'm like, is New York, New York's not that big. How is everybody living in New York and not encountering each other if that's really what we're talking here? It was also kind of strange that Deathstroke was in the story for like hmm. a hot second as kind of sort of a henchman, but kind of sort of not. And then and I looked it up because I was really confused because they kept calling him the Terminator. And, but apparently like he, when he was first introduced, he went by Deathstroke, the Terminator. And for a while, everyone just called him the Terminator. And I was like, oh, okay. We actually <laughs> just talked about that in our last episode that's coming out this month uh, about his name being so goddamn confusing for no reason. He has like 17 names now at this point, but at least at this point, he was just called the Terminator. At least he purely acts like a villain here, and I like him to stay that way. Me and James have had many a conversation about the uh, labeling of Deathstroke as an anti-hero and why we don't really agree with 
such a concept. <laughs> so it was fun to see him as purely a second villain, or I guess like a secondary boss in like video game terms. He was like not the simple characters that you fight, but he was the one who had like maybe two health bars and then Darkseid had three and then Phoenix had four. <laughs> Just to put it in like that kind of structure for people to kind of understand. At least that's how I took it. It's very dated. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I mean, it's fun to kind of go back and look at how things were presented before like the modern era. And I think that this is kind of something that I've just noticed in general is how mature and how far we've come within the medium. Because mm -hmm. it was just kind of, you know, there's a reason that people are like, you know, comic books aren't really literature and now you've got all these people advocating oh no comics are literature because comics have become literature based <laughs> on what they started out being and then how they've transitioned and now there's this whole you know there's this whole zeitgeist kind of with comics and graphic novels and being gritty and you know you look at older comics and they're a little bit hokey and you're like okay that was fun for that time. It would not work today. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely agree. There was so many points in here where death or not Deathstroke, but Darkseid and Phoenix could have just been like, okay, you're gone. Bye. And then fully taken over the world. And they're like, we're just going to leave them. That's fine. They don't need, they can just. And I was like, you're Phoenix. You're a bird. Make some eggs. Let's do it. Come on. Let's make some apocalypse babies <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird framing like i almost got like bride of frankenstein vibes mm -hmm. by him bringing her to life and i'm like okay gene gray as a character is definitely more than just the like bride of frankenstein let's bring her back to be like a secondary villain it was giving me like x-men 3 vibes the film <laughs> like yeah. just using her as a plot device and i'm like wait a minute no I mean, yeah, more than that. Lines of dialogue about how it's just a shell, it's not the real gene, but that's super disappointing in its own way as a gene stan. Like, so you give us a shell, and also from the perspective of it's a Dark Phoenix story, but Dark Phoenix runs on the buildup and the groundwork and all that. So it'd be like, oh, I'm new to Dark Phoenix, maybe. It's kind of weird to just dump someone in and be like, care about this, but you don't necessarily. That's. Especially for it to be, not to hark on it again, but especially for it to be a story that doesn't go anywhere or doesn't connect to anything else. I mean, I mean, especially like at the end where they're like, well, wait, didn't we get like some sort of warning from Gene, like in our dreams? Like, why, why do we even write that Gene gave them a warning if this story doesn't even exist in the normal reality? Like they're giving so much depth into Gene and her love for the X-Men. I mean, the X-Men even go and visit her parents. Like I mean, what, what DC care or DC fan reading this book cares about Gene's parents? So... I think that's Chris Claremont speaking though. That's, that's his pure love of Gene and it took yeah. away from him. And this is him like being mad about his fists it. against the wall. This is his like revenge to get her back into the fold somehow. Let's <laughs> make DC fans love her too. Which I already like Gene, so I was very confused. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I guess. I like how she related to Raven where they were like mm. talking about each other almost as like two sides of the same coin or like I think that she was like our sisters or we're like almost like sisters or something like that. I really like that connection. Anytime the characters got to relate with one another was I think like the bright spot of the issue, at least for me. <laughs> no, I definitely agree with that. It was really fun to see them, you know, not really battling because sometimes we have these tropes where, oh, we're going to meet up with this new superhero team, but first we have to kick some ass and then we're going to be friends. And that didn't really happen here. That was nice to not have happen. <laughs> yeah. Me and James lament over the superhero infighting that often happens. And for it not to be present here was really nice. <laughs> it's like 90% of the MCU. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Very bad. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want it. I didn't want that conversation to come up in this issue because growing up, I got so tired of hearing how the Teen Titans were 
ultimately inferior to like every other team because that was a common thing that I grew up with dealing with as a Teen Titan fan was oh the Teen Titans are just um illegitimate like off-brand sidekicks they can't beat any other superhero team so like it was nice to not have to deal with that conversation being brought up here even though I think probably the X-Men could win I mean you have like three Omega level mutants on this (laughs) roster alone I I think it'd be kind of hard to deal with (laughs) I would love to see Storm take on Raven like what would that look like that would be awesome (laughs) I feel like it would be time for a nice crossover event one of these years. Even if it was just like in a video game, I think it'd be kind of neat to see. And it doesn't have to just be X-Men and Teen Titans. I think it'd be really fun to see it across the board. As long as they don't bring in the films or the live action media, I'd be okay. <laughs> I agree. We don't Keep need the like its own thing. I don't need it to be anything else. <laughs> I know that there was a fun Lockheed cameo because Beast Boy like shapeshifted into a, a large version of Lockheed. And I really appreciated that, even though it didn't look like Lockheed looks usually. I was like, I think this is I wrote in my notes. I was like Lockheed cameo with a question mark. And I really expected at this point, I think Dazzler was introduced into the canon and they kept mentioning that concert. I really wanted Dazzler to be the one performing at the concert. I thought that would have been really cute and really nice to bring it all in. I think a lot of the side characters from both respective teams being absent was really a hindrance for it too. Uh, On the Teen Titans side, like I wanted Sarah Sim somewhere. Uh, We got a Terry mention, which was nice Uh, for you guys. Terry is Donna's uh, at this point fiance, I think. I don't know if they had asked her to be married yet, but yeah, it's her fiance. So it was nice to get a mention, but it would have been nice to see him interacting with some of the other x-men side characters but what are you gonna do (laughs) i wanted to mention i think it was a little bit weird with how big the book was and all the characters that were in it that like wally and donna and like nightcrawler really were not in the book that much (laughs) not like like i actually forgot that donna was even in it until you just mentioned that side character and you said that and i was like donna was in it oh yeah she was there for like a second so yeah it was a little why did you even have them in the story type of thing like you didn't have to have all the x-men or all the titans it could have been a story with just a few of them but no i I really like donna so i was happy to see her and then no i didn't (laughs) and then you were happy to see her in the background fighting some random parademon because that's all you got (laughs) that's really all i got really it was really i mean she's my favorite character uh, amongst the teen titans in this canon so also very disappointed that she didn't really get much to do outside of mention that she was on a date before all this nonsense happened i must wish she stayed there with terry Like, girl, just have a nice date. You don't need to deal with all this cosmic nonsense. (laughs) Yeah, the rest of the team will handle it. It's going to be fine. Honestly. And then Wally, I think me and James are both of the same mind that, like, he could have just stayed in college. (laughs) (laughs) Wally, uh, for you guys, he is um, a very exhaustive character in, in the Teen Titans books written by George and Marv. Uh, he definitely develops a lot more like when he becomes the Flash, but currently teenage Wally is a pain. And when he said that remark to Storm, I'm like, what the, f- what are you talking about? <laughs> Shut up, Wally. I was like, uh, dude, we can, we don't need to go there, <laughs> you little brat. <laughs> There's a part in the story where the X-Men and the Titans kind of sort of make their own chip out of an asteroid. And the, like, propulsion of it is Starfire and Cyclops. And I was a little upset. Uh, probably, again, my bias of loving Starfire. But, like, Starfire's on the asteroid being held by Colossus while she blasts. And then on the other side is Cyclops blasting. I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure Corey is stronger in a thousand more ways than Cyclops is. Yeah. She doesn't need to be held by Colossus. If anything, he needs, Cyclops needs to be held by Colossus. Well, that's just Corey wanting to be held by a Russian bear because she planted one on him and she was like, I think I might have a taste True. of this later. <laughs> <laughs> that very that very well could be it. She kissed him earlier 
or had she kissed him already? Yeah, yeah okay. I think so. Mm-hmm. Oh no, she hadn't. No, this was. Well, she was that. getting ready to. That's oh. what that was. So, <laughs> either way, she was planning or she was very happy. I guess Maybe that makes sense, be. but it it made her look weak. So I didn't I didn't care for it. Mm-hmm. It would have been even doubt if Wolverine was behind Cyclops holding him down. <laughs> Something. Something. I mean, he weighs like how many pounds? He's like full of adamantium. Yeah. It would have made sense. Yes. Also, like space physics. What are they? I'm confused. Because <laughs> I'm like, exactly. I don't think that's how Cyclops' powers work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> also, space physics of Cyclops and Colossus probably should have died. <laughs> Corey's the only one, I think, out of every character here that can breathe in space. Yeah, they usually get into the minutia of space physics in the Teen Titans comics, so it was strange to see it just completely absent. They dedicate like a has written Storm can create atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Adventures like with the brood and stuff. Yes, that's right. I mean, they could have at least mentioned it (laughs) because I was very confused. In one sentence, Storm made atmosphere for everyone. They like to make text boxes for like the smallest of things in this era, so it would have been easy. (laughs) They didn't explain the source wall mumbo jumbo either. It's just, it's weird. The source wall is just something Darkseid can't have, and that's all it is in the story. And that you shouldn't cross it because you don't know what could happen. I'm like, can you be a little bit more descriptive, please? A lot (laughs) of this felt like secret wars logic like Uh, we just need it in the story we're just going to put it in there don't ask any questions it's fine (laughs) (laughs) did anyone else think i don't know how well versed you guys are with the new gods or with the dark side and his minions and all that other stuff but the parademons here look vastly different than how i know the parademons they're like in weird they were giving me like samurai vibes and i'm like that doesn't look how I know the parademons to be because usually they're in like the green and yellow and they have the wings and the claws. And here they just look, I'm like, dark side, what is your army right now? Is Paragon's a title that you give to a group of lackeys? Is that what that is at this point in the canon? Because who are these, these weirdos? <laughs> yeah. These all look like a bunch of like weekly power ranger villains that all have their own armor and color designation mm-hmm. so yeah i in in the little bit of parademons that i know yeah they just look like demons but they don't have any type of armor they're just like lizard people so at least not like samurai like with the the head pieces were the yes. most jarring thing i've ever seen i'm like what is that why is that i think the artwork was i think a highlight though especially drawing the source wall looked way more cooler than how they didn't explain it (laughs) i'm like that looks really cool or like the race of gods that are like just dead and hanging out in space next to the source wall really Mm. well drawn in my opinion minus that we got like no information about whatever the source wall is I think Walter Simonson is one of my favorite artists in the period, and he really, especially some of the Phoenix panels are especially beautiful, I would say. Like, I don't know if I were an X-Men fan who had never encountered the Teen Titans, if I would walk away from this being interested in the Teen Titans. But if it were the other way around and I were a Titans fan who had never encountered the X-Men, I would think the X-Men were pretty damn cool, I think. Yeah. I, Very I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. If if you were an X Men fan that knew nothing about the Teen Titans, I feel like you would have no idea who anyone was, except for Starfire. I don't think anyone else really did anything. Like you would think of every Titan in this book that Robin would have done more, but he kind of didn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, he got beat by Deathstroke, a common thing that happens in Teen Titans books at this point in this era. <laughs> Uh, This is not uncommon for Robin to face defeat at the hands of Slade. Uh, I think, like you said, Starfire, and I think a little bit of Raven uh, got the most character development. James, this is going to continue amongst Teen Titans fans where we often than not get shafted in terms of uh, representation. Uh, For reference, we're about to read Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is not too kind to Teen Titans characters. Um, So this is the beginning of... uh, 
an unfortunate uh, run for the Teen Titans characters. <laughs> I really love the panel of them all meeting up, though, mm-hmm. and the way there's the sort of parallels drawn between different characters to some degree. Like you said, anytime that's like comparisons are made and there's that sort of harmony is when the issue really sings. Yeah. I really liked the nightmare sequence where like it was the exposition dump for Phoenix and Jean Grey's character where each panel was like a moment in her life. That artwork was really well done. I really liked that moment in the book. It was when I really started to notice like this artwork is really good. Especially for this era, because me and James are so used to George uh, drawing everything that we read. (laughs) Um, Anyone who draws the Titans that's not George ends up being like massively distracting (laughs) because we're so used (laughs) to how George draws them. But here it was really welcome. I think from like me and James go over things like the female gaze and the male gaze and what that means to characters Uh, I didn't necessarily see any of that as an issue in here. I think everyone was drawn pretty accurately to their character. That panel where it shows all of them, I think everyone has their own distinct feel and that the Titans really are drawn to stay true to who the Titans are. I don't know if this is a recurring thing that was happening in X-Men comics because I'm really not well-versed in this particular time period. But I did notice that Scott's pajamas are the same pajamas that Madeline Pryor is going to wear later. <laughs> are and I they was really? Like, I was like, what is he, why is he wearing Madeline Pryor's pajamas? I was like, oh, they're his pajamas. But as she's his wife, <laughs> he would just wear them. He wears the bottoms. She wears the top. You know, it's like a whole sexy thing or whatever. <laughs> oh, I love that. That, that attention to continuity is great. <laughs> yeah. But I did notice that. I was just like, those are Maddie's pajamas. And I was like, oh, maybe not. Real, qu- real quick, it is not her paying attention to continuity in comics. It's her being obsessed with one character, which is Madeline Pryor. <laughs> I'm obsessed with multiple characters. And that is it. it. <laughs> I mean, I can't talk. This book made me really want to make the Kitty Pride first appearance costume, which is just an X-Men uniform with uh, a hood. So... It's like moved up on my list of Kitty Pride costumes I want to make uh, significantly post this issue. <laughs> Mostly because like all of the next ones I wanted to do were like all of the fan costumes people have drawn of her. But this definitely moved up on the list after reading it. <laughs> I really she love so her. She was so fun at that time. She was. When her and Beast Boy were like going through the machine and she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to win. Just like, Yes. You are. Your powers are just it. Hello. I mean, based on my opinion of Beast Boy, I'm kind of like, Kitty, no, get away. I know. This is just your hormones talking. But... Yeah, I, I love how when they first meet, everyone else is like talking and then the two of them want to like cuddle on the chair. <laughs> As, what, what are you doing? Stop it. Like get I a know, spray bottle bro. and spray Do Beast it. Boy. Peter's too old for you. Just go, go with someone your own age. I mean, in, in that aspect, yes. Very that. <laughs> However, I think they died. They dialed down a lot of Gar's um, yeah. character traits that you guys are luckily to not see um, <laughs> because Gar here is much more subdued in the hormone department um, versus the Teen Titans book canon. So I was definitely apprehensive about Kitty being like, oh, there's a character who's my age and I guess looks cute with the coiffed hair. So I like him. <laughs> But, oh, God, please, no. Beast Boy, don't open your mouth. Don't say anything, please. <laughs> it was like, luckily he was subdued, but they still managed to put in Wally's nonsense in there for a line. I'm like, what What are you paying attention to, Chris Claremont? Because I'm assuming he had to do his research to, to write these characters. He read two Teen Titans books, and he's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> There's a part in the story where Scott basically becomes a phoenix host and oh, yeah. i feel like that was a missed opportunity by chris that if you're going to do a crossover why not have one of the dc characters become the host it seems like it would have made way more sense to have one of them become the host it instead of scott <laughs> yeah like should have been raven. raven become the host because she even says at the end you know i used you know my powers to open the, the greatest my greatest you know powers were um to help conquer the phoenix because i was the balance or whatever and i'm like but you didn't do that much 
Like, what are you talking about, honey? Like, that's what should have happened. And then that line would have made way more sense. In line with what James said uh, in regards to what if cost, uh, what if comic books, a lot of the times that's when people get really crazy with like alternate costumes and uh, alternate designs for characters. It would have been great to see Raven step in front of Cyclops and get the Phoenix Force. Also, I'm kind of sick of Cyclops getting the Phoenix Force in any media whatsoever. <laughs> so like when it went into him, like, God damn it. <laughs> The Phoenix is cool, I think. Yeah. It's... Wait, which one? I couldn't really see. The manifestation of the Phoenix as his optic blast. When oh, he... yes. Yeah. I liked that, yeah. It was just when it went inside him and it just had, like, the emblem. Yeah. No, it's not a very inspired Phoenix costume. And, like, if you're going to make a Phoenix host, you want the redesign, at least. That's kind of what Enter the Phoenix was about, in my opinion. It was the opportunity to Phoenixify everyone, the way they venomized everyone before that. But Are you talking about the variant covers? I mean... Or the story. The idea of being able to redo them. Like, this is Phoenix Wolverine. Oh, yeah. This is Phoenix whoever. Uh, Cap. Shang-Chi. Oh, is that the Avengers one right now? Yeah. Uh, the most recent that established Echo as Phoenix Echo. Yeah. I haven't read... So, for reference, on the opposite side of Dylan's spectrum, when I was reading comic books heavily, I was reading everything DC related and then X-Men. <laughs> I didn't pay attention to anything else going on in the Marvel universe. If it was not X-Men related, I didn't care. Like if it wasn't about a mutant, nope, not happening. What I see on Twitter is what I get of stuff outside of mutants <laughs> in terms of the Marvel universe. <laughs> I like how the beginning and end of this book are like Metron and Darkseid like hating each other and it's like oh Darkseid one-upped Metron and then at the end Metron's like ha you're in a wall and now we're done. It's this very like shady petty relationship and I'm like what is this? I know Metron is like not having any emotion whatsoever. He's just on a chair traveling through space knowing like the entire history of what happens and here he's like I'm like are you what is this amount of shade? You have a personality? What is this? <laughs> Even Darkseid, too, to an extent, like, had a lot more sass than I thought he was going to have. I would have liked to have seen more new gods, too. Where were the female Furies? Why weren't they here? I would have loved to have seen them have a, like, Granny Goodness. Where is Granny Goodness? Like, Granny Goodness fighting Colossus would have been great. I would have loved it. I, I so agree. many side characters. Just if, not... if they would have had the more important henchmen instead of yeah. these weird demon goblins. Like, what are the parademons? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't Granny Goodness be there? She... Ugh. DC, why? <laughs> Maybe this is why they weren't meant to ever have crossovers post, like, 1999. <laughs> mm. Yes. As much as I want it, I think it'd be great to see like a six issue run of like a crossover. I think it would boost sales, Marvel and DC. Hello, hint, hint, wink, wink. I regretted that there wasn't more Storm and there was a particular moment where, I don't know, I feel like she was just, you know, doing that emotional lifting caregiver role that falls to her once Jean dies and there's no other woman to do that. And it just made me long for Mohawk Storm and that sort of visual rejection of being the caregiver and being her own person would have been especially cool in this context, especially with the parallels drawn between her and Corey to have mm. more of that sort of... I don't know, warrior persona and less kind of the mom Claremont makes her sometimes. I mean, I think that speaks to who Storm was as a character. She was like a thief as a child, right? Before, uh, oh, cue my like encyclopedic knowledge, even though I haven't actually read the books. Uh, before, what's his name? Takes her under his wing. Shadow um, King. I'm all yeah, Shadow King. Mm -hmm. It would, I think it would definitely speak to that. And I think that would have been a cool moment to have between Corey and Storm. I would have 
like to see more of the fact that where this falls in X-Men continuity is when Storm did become the leader of the X-Men. I mean, they even mention it. Yeah. But like she, much like Robin, didn't do anything in this issue. Like Robin leads the Titans and Storm leads the X-Men, but it's really Starfire and Cyclops' story. And yet you get the page with them, like with Cyclops and Robin shaking hands. And I'm like, wait that's that's not right (laughs) like what's happening here it's just although i liked it and it was fun and it was kind of campy and that that's kind of what i like there i feel like there were a lot of missed opportunities connections with characters different things they could have done with the plot i mean it's fine for what it is but could we like redo it and modernize it and then make it better (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think when Dylan had come to me with this opportunity to read it, I was under the impression that these books were actual like collections. Like I thought this was like issue one of four or issue one of six. And then James, when he purchased it and sent me a photo of just the single issue, I'm like, oh, oh, that's it? <laughs> like, okay, I guess. I was really hoping for more. <laughs> Like, this was a nice appetizer, but, like, I want the full, like, this could have been stretched out into a, a four-issue series, by far. Or at least two. At least yeah. two issues. Or at least one more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not just one double-sided one. They're just, there really should have been more Titans also. Instead of yeah. just also more Storm being a leader, there should have just been more Titans. Because yeah. it, it, it did seem like, again, I know, like Joey m- mentioned in DC world, the Titans are the redheaded stepchildren that like nobody likes. Like it literally felt like that in this story too. It's like, oh, here's the redheaded stepchildren of DC making an appearance in an X-Men book. Slade got his own fight scene for what? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Why didn't that go to Donna or Wally? I can't believe I'm rooting for more Wally screen time, but here I am. Like, <laughs> that would have been so much more welcome. Sigh. <laughs> if anything, this has uh, led me to want to read more of the Claremont era X-Men stuff. I have not read that stuff extensively, like I said at the beginning. So this was really cool to see. And there is a lot, like with the X-Men, like you said, they got a lot more screen time here that has definitely made me more interested in reading that era of comic books on the Marvel side of things. This is functionally two issues to the six to eight that we normally do. Yeah. I really love all the Phoenix panels. I just have to say again, Simonson's art and the Firebird effects, it's just so beautiful. Does that include Beast Boy shape-shifting as the Phoenix? I find that an interesting point of contention with him. Like it's his power can only be animals, but if he can be dragons and phoenixes, Things are starting to break down, I feel. Like <laughs> um I don't I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> that comes up as a Teen Titan story later down the line. It's really hard because James has James hasn't read the books or done the extensive silly like research deep dives like I have. So like I know stuff that goes on and I'm like, I can't. <laughs> Just smile and not say anything. <laughs> I don't know this answer either, so I guess I'm going to have to look it up as soon as we end, because I want to know that too, because when he turned into the phoenix, I was like, what? He turned into a parademon too for like three panels. Yeah. I was like, oh, also, all right. When he turns into a dragon, it's supposedly based on Lockheed, but mm-hmm. has Walter Simonson seen Lockheed? What's going on there? <laughs> It doesn't look like Lockheed at all. (laughs) It's like a pterodactyl dragon. So So for you guys, was Lockheed like visualized yet? Or was he just a story that him and him and uh, or that Kitty and Peter were talking about? I don't know when his first appearance was versus like this appearance of Lockheed. I say that in like the biggest air quotes ever. <laughs> I don't know like, when, what year his first appearance was, but his first like non-official appearance was in a dream story of Kitty's mm-hmm. or fairy tale story where Kitty's telling a story to a little Iliana. Oh, and there's a, there's a big dragon in it that's purple. 
and was named Lockheed. But oh, so that okay. was like his first appearance was actually as a big dragon. But I don't I don't know what year that came out. Okay. Well, so I mean, obviously, that, that, uh, I think Peter mentions that in the book, right? Yes, he does. Um, Lockheed's first official appearance was in February of '83. Okay, so after- so maybe he didn't. <laughs> I'm glad this didn't stick. <laughs> if that's like, if that's <laughs> what they were challenged with, I'm and glad this wasn't how. I, <laughs> I like the more dragon-like appearance, less like a pterodactyl. Hard agree. <laughs> <laughs> the face itself was jarring. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> Go home, Gar, you're drunk. But... <laughs> I wanted to ask that? you guys real quick, since me and Regina are an X-Men podcast, I, uh, Joey, I know that you said that Kitty is, I don't know if she's your like all-time favorite X-Man, but I wanted to ask you real quick, who is your favorite? Like, If you had to pick absolutely one X-Man as your only favorite, who would that be? I mean, it has to be Kitty. I think okay. to, to prove that I, I've been asked why I don't cosplay as other female X-Men characters often. And it's because I have a long list of Kitty Pride costumes that I want to make. There's like 17 of them and then Pixie underneath it. So, it, I mean, she's been my favorite, like I said, ever since the Joss Whedon run where she was like the main character. Um, I think she was introduced to me uh probably with as innocuous as it is it was the one scene in the first x-men movie when she phases through the wall and you're like oh that's kitty and i i had to know as a kid who that was and that's what led me to going into comic stories it was this like serendipitous moment where it was like that movie with her in it and then the teen titans cartoon had just premiered around that same time which really like thrust me into like comic books in general so like I kind of owe my entire like comic book knowledge to her and to the Teen Titans collectively so yeah it's okay it's, yeah it is kitty got it, it. Is kitty. okay James same um, question for me it's Jean I think firsts are really important to me and so that idea of being the first lady of the X-Men is something that stuck Um, Of course, the phoenix and like I said, the art with the fire and so on has always really appealed to me and just the sort of concepts of the idea that she is love, she is the team heart and um, she is the sort of feeler, heavy lifter of the team when it comes to taking care of people and caring about people that I like. Awesome. I know that Dylan, your favorite Teen Titan like you've said is Starfire. Regina, after reading this, do you think that you have a favorite or was there a favorite previous to this? You know, I don't really know that much about Teen Titans in my household. I'm the Marvel girl. My husband (laughs) is the DC guy. So he loves Teen Titans. Like he loves Teen Titans. So the kids know about Teen Titans and they tell me, I know my youngest, their favorite is Raven, like obsessed with Raven. Um, out of this particular group, I, I mean, I'm a wonder, like I'm casual, but I love Wonder Woman. She was my first love when I was like four. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I found out later that, you know, she had Donna Troy that kind of came up under her, Donna's got black hair. I've got black hair. Maybe my name is actually Donna. <laughs> you know? So I would say Donna. Then I would say, um, I guess I would say Raven right after that too. So um, it seems like Raven is really common in my family. I think like three of my relatives, that's like their favorite character. And I can see why she's, she's amazing. She's awesome. Um, Her powers are impressive. So why not? She really comes into her own. I think we, we are on the uh, cusp of reading the relaunch of the new Teen Titans post Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I think that's where a lot of her, I say fun stories come into play. (laughs) I don't want to say too much for James's sake. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think those are great choices to have. And I I love Donna. So like, I didn't draw her as me on a t-shirt for nothing. (laughs) So I appreciate the Donna love for sure. When, when Dylan and I do our reviews, we sometimes talk about, you know, the story 
than the art? How does the story influence the art or vice versa? And okay. I feel like this is one of those issues where the story was, I love Claremont, but this was not one of his better arcs or works, maybe. It's filler. Does it have any lasting repercussions? No. But <laughs> Simonson's art like elevates it. Like I probably enjoyed it more because of the art. <laughs> And I did the actual story. That 80s hair is always fabulous. And Simonson <laughs> just, everybody's hair, Corey's hair, Phoenix's hair, Storm's hair, everybody's hair just looks amazing. And I just love looking at the panels with hair. <laughs> yeah, this, the Simonson art was really good on the Titans. Uh, I, Joey mentioned that a few times, but like, because I do know a little bit of the Teen Titans in this era, when there was someone that was drawing them that wasn't Perez, characters like Starfire would not look like Starfire, but this art looks very much like Perez's Starfire. So yes. Yeah. The art was the best part. Oh yeah. I think that's a general consensus amongst the four of us is that the artwork is really what made this issue pop the most. Um, Dylan and Regina, where can we find you guys on the web, on the internets? Go ahead, Regina. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the Red Queen of X. We have a bunch of satellite groups. We have a House of DC. So if anybody wants to check out our Facebook group there. Um, and then you can find our podcast on Twitter and Instagram as well at House of X Podcast. You have to search for it because there's like underscores. I don't know what's going on with that, but that's how you can find us. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Um, but our podcast, House of X podcast, came from our Facebook group that both of you lovely gentlemen are a part of, and we love that you're a part of it, and it's called House of X. And James, where can we find you? I am uh, GeekyJP on Instagram. And then you can find me at Joe Pride Cosplay on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find our Tee Public, uh, Joe Pride Art, where I do sell our Teen Titans t-shirts, uh, our merch. And then collectively, you can find us on Instagram at Titans Together Pod. I am in the middle of drawing every single day for the month of October. So not light on posting, but uh, post the spooky season, expect that, po that page to uh, really amp up in terms of content. And with that, uh, I think that is about it. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us and vice versa. Like, I think this has been like such a fun time and uh really mix things up for both the <laughs> yeah you know and, and i was just gonna say thank you for having us and uh i know with a few guests that regina and i have had lately we've talked about a little bit more dc here and there when we have been interviewing people and i think it would actually be fun to have you guys on our show for something x-men dc related but i don't know what that would be yet <laughs> i'm so down but when Very we find much, it yeah. we'll let you know yeah sounds good definitely bye bye bye, bye.